Chapter Two of Policy and Passion. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Policy and Passion by Rosa Campbell Prade. Chapter Two The Premier. The mob round the hotel had thickened fast, and as the premier stood in Brasher's veranda, surveying the crowded street, the rowdies set up a series of shouts. Hooray for Thomas Longleat! Go it, old chap, for the railway! Pitch into the obstructionist crew! Down with Middleton and his sneaking northerners! Concluding with an unanimous cry, I say, Longleat, give us a bit of talk. Open your jaw while you're waiting and let em have it hot. The premier shook his head, half deprecating, half acknowledging his popularity with the Kuya bob now considerably augmented by a band of idle navies in blue shirts and felt caps to whom the cry of the railway was the herald of a new era of pay and plenty we don't mean to let you clear out in this ere coach till you've told us what's a-going to become of us when parliament meets cried one of these insistents perching himself upon a wheel of cobs we aren't the sort of chaps to be put off any longer with these ere screws shrieked another rough who had clambered to the box-seat it's steam osses that suits our money hooray for longleat's railway come go it old chap tell us that you hain't got no intention of caving in to them stingy oppositionists the premier came forward to the edge of the veranda and took off his hat as he stood in the glare of the declining sun his head thrown back his big chest expanded with his broad capable forehead his keen eyes looking out steadily from under shaggy brows his under lip slightly protruding and giving to his coarsely moulded face an expression of suave self-complacency in spite of the drawbacks of evident low birth and vulgar assertiveness there were in his bearing and features indications of intellectual power and iron resolution which would have impressed a higher class mob than that now waiting eagerly for his words his brawny hands rough still with the traces of work and exposure grasped the veranda rails while he began to speak in an easy conversational style unembellished by any flowers of oratory electors and friends said mr longleat you've asked me to make you a speech before i travel down to leichardt's town in cobb's coach yonder and i dare say you would all cheer me as loudly as your lungs would let you if i just took that vehicle for my text in a tirade against the petty jealousy of northern politicians who grudge to the populated south a means of locomotion of which there ain't enough of squatters let alone free selectors to make any use up there but it's not my way to abuse the bridge that has carried me over and i won't cry down cobb's coach that scores of times when i have been driving hard all day from Kurel bin 
has saved my horse's legs and my own temper you can't have railways at a moment's notice my men and it's not so very long ago that we all thought it a fine and wonderful thing to have any sort of a public conveyance between leichardt's town and kooya it's a nice roomy well-built vehicle and has done its work well and i mean no disrespect to mr cobb when i say to you here that i hope before two years are out to travel from this town to the metropolis in one that'll be easier about the springs and more commodious for the carriage of our wool and cotton to port and our meat and vegetables to market i have driven fifty miles to-day along a roughish bit of country and am not much inclined for public speaking but since you want to know what my policy is going to be this coming session i'll tell you i'm going to fight might and main for your railway and if the public feeling is what i take it to be there's not much doubt but that you'll have it not because you want it i do the best i can for my constituency but i bear in mind that kooya is not the only electorate in leichardt's land it's because our colony requires the fresh impetus which she will receive from the circulation of new monies that i'm going to move heaven and earth to float the loan which i shall bring before parliament at the opening of the session there are folks up north and down south too that say the ministry will knock under and that when parliament meets the railway question will be shuffled over and the opposition conciliated because thomas longley likes power and place and means to stick to his seat in the treasury now i say that's a lie thomas longley never knocked under in his life and he's not going to be trodden on now if he is thrashed and the country goes again him He'll take his licking and bide his time. But if he knows that the country is with him, he'll fight for her while he has got a voice to speak with and a leg to stand on. The railway loan will be the party question of this session, and upon it my government stands or falls. You all know me here. It's my way to carry through what I've set my mind on. It's my determination. Some call it luck, and some call it obstinacy that's got me on in life i ain't ashamed to tell you that i began in leichardt's land bullock driving along this very road i'm going over to-night i was a rough sort of chap in those days my friends but i'd got the will in me strong even then i said to myself i'll rise and i have risen i've climbed inch by inch step by step till i'm nigh the topmost bough of the tree and I'm proud of what I've done. It's Leichardt's land that has made me, and when I see my benefactress low and sinking, it's not surprising that I want mine to be the hand to lift her up again. We are watching a critical point in her history. Nations have their turning points, their times of weakness and depression, the same as human beings." leichardt's land is like a sick person whose powers have been enfeebled and whose glorious capabilities have been contracted by years of parsimonious neglect she needs a fillip you have heard of a wonderful operation called transfusion by which fresh vitalizing blood is sent coursing through languid veins and a new impetus is given to the springs of life it is the transfusion of money 
the blood of nations that Leichhardt's land requires to make her flush and strong. Let a temporary loan which will ere long repay itself fourfold be poured into her treasury, and we shall see in a short space of time railways penetrating to the very heart of her rich pastures, bridges spanning her rivers, her mines yielding gold and jewels, her plantations, sugar and cotton, the European market supplied with her wool, and the colonial market with her produce. My friends, the loan bill which will come before the house immediately is not a mere question of internecine jealousy and party rancor, but of the introduction of new life and vigor into a glorious but debilitated colony." longleat as he concluded his peroration his rough eloquence kindling as he opened upon his subject stood for a moment his shoulders thrown back his face bland his underlip projecting ere he proceeded with his address but at this moment the coach-horses ready harnessed were brought round from the inn-yard and there arose some little confusion amidst the crowd in the street while the sound of a woman's cry arrested any further words with which mr longleat might have intended to occupy the five minutes which must elapse before the starting of the coach a lady dressed in black slight and delicate-looking had been pushed somewhat violently against one of the posts of brasher's veranda she was evidently a passenger by cobbs to leichardt's town and being alone and naturally alarmed at finding herself in the centre of a political demonstration was making for the shelter of the hotel the premier attracted by the cry glanced downwards from his raised position and met the appealing gaze of a pair of dark eyes which he knew well with more agility than might have been expected judging by his age and figure he vaulted the railings and in a moment was at the lady's side mrs valancy he exclaimed how is it that you are here she grasped his arm and her eyes beamed with gratitude upon his face i have been staying with the ansons at kuranga mr anson brought me down but could not wait to see me off in the coach i am going to leichardt's town this evening so am i i shall be able to look after you you've been knocked again the railings i hope you are not hurt no it was a mere nothing i'm not hurt only a little frightened but quite happy now that you are here i am glad that i have heard you speak in this way it impresses one in a different manner to the dull debates which one listens to from the ladies gallery and you know she added in a lower tone i make rather a merit of not taking any great interest in politics it would not do for me to side openly against my husband whatever i might think and wish in private mr longleat pressed his companion's hand appreciating her delicacy at its very highest pitch a man of coarse fibre is apt to attribute ultra-refinement to a woman by whom he is attracted mr valancy was a member of the legislative council though notoriously needy and desirous of a government appointment he belonged to the middleton faction and had made himself peculiarly obnoxious to the reigning ministry 
the premier had become acquainted with mrs valancy a short time before the present date and notwithstanding the inimical attitude of her husband certain casual meetings and suggestive conversations had deepened a budding interest into something more than commonplace social intimacy i am sorry that you should have been annoyed by the crowd i they insisted upon my speaking upon my word i could not have got out of it i wish i had known that you were to be here he spoke with a nervous utterance that except in the presence of ladies was unusual to him ah said mrs valancy in a tone half melancholy half arch i know that you are the idol of the mob such popularity must be very delightful i sincerely hope that you will carry your railway bill i had never before connected it so personally with you party questions have been sources of annoyance to me this one will possess a more agreeable interest they had stepped on to the veranda mr longleat placed one of the canvas chairs for his companion to sit upon all the men turned to look at her, but not one except Barrington took his pipe from his lips. Though she was perfectly aware of the attention she excited, she did not appear to be embarrassed by it. Her hat had been tilted back by the push she had sustained, and her low brow and fine eyes were fully visible. The latter were black, slightly prominent, and restless and dissatisfied in expression. Her mouth, a curved red line, was more characteristic than sweet. Her coloring was clear and pale, her voice low and remarkably distinct. The nervous excitability and sensitive refinement which her face and manner suggested were quite calculated to impress such a temperament as that of Mr. Longleat, but although his admiration was obvious, it was evident that he had not acquired perfect ease in her society. In spite of the feminine experience implied by two matrimonial bereavements and the bringing up of a daughter, companionship with women of a particular caliber gave him an uncomfortable sense of inferiority and made him conscious of certain lapses in grammar and faults in pronunciation which considerable proficiency as a public speaker and years of unwearied self-education had not enabled him entirely to surmount is miss longleat with you inquired mrs valancy no he replied she is at kooralbin i'm longing to see her again some friends of mine who met her in sydney last winter wrote to me in raptures about her beauty is she as lovely as ever mr longleat smiled and elevated his head with an air of gratified pride yes he said i think she is handsomer now than i've ever seen her she took her place in sydney amongst the best of em as he spoke he caught mr barrington's eye and scowled with incipient dislike though mrs valancy was sitting a little apart from the other loungers in the veranda barrington was sufficiently near to have overheard her remark and the premier's reply an expression of amusement passed over the englishman's face as he mentally pictured a coarse gaudily dressed antipodean belle whose every gesture would inevitably offend against his refined european taste his supercilious smile incensed mr longleat still more deeply and as barrington turned away he asked angrily who is that man he is evidently a stranger said mrs valancy 
a new chum going up to lord dolph's exclaimed one of the bushmen i could have sworn that he was one of those cursed english swells muttered longleat we don't want that brood out here i'm pretty quick at guessing what a man is made of and my impressions don't often deceive me it's instinct and somehow i don't cotton up to lord dolph's new chum the horses had by this time been put to the coach, and the driver, with the reins in his hand, was calling his passengers to mount. Mr. Longleat helped Mrs. Valancy to ascend, and took his place beside her in the back bench unoccupied by anyone else. "'The box seat has been reserved for you, sir,' said the driver. "'Never mind,' answered Longleat. "'I've got a lady to look after. I'll sit here.' mrs valancy cast upon him a look of ineffable gratitude the other travellers clambered up the coachman flicked his whip upon the horses backs and the lumbering vehicle clattered off mid the shouts of the rapidly dispersing mob hooray for the premier longleat and his railway for ever chapter two